For the premiere episode of season two, I'm speaking with Penn Parrish and Detective Joe Scaramucci of the McLennan County Sheriff's Office. This is a sobering look into the world of child sexual abuse, human trafficking, sexual slavery, vigilantes, how the law is failing victims, how big tech plays a role, and more. While not a fun journey down the rabbit hole, it's an important topic. So please buckle up for my chat with Penn Parrish and Joe Scaramucci. Hello and welcome to the Arsenic Show. This is season two, episode one, and we have a couple of great guests with us today. But before we do that, just a little bit of house cleaning. Um, we uh, are in a new studio, uh, you might notice, uh, for those of you who've been watching the show up to this point. Uh, so there's a couple of unknowns, and we're going to play with this and see and make sure it all works. But it uh, basically gives us a little bit more control over production, and that's kind of why this whole thing started in the first place. Just uh, try to make sure we have as many conversations with interesting people as we can on our own schedule. Still have a great relationship with the Ibble team. We're just uh, just moved into our own space. So, so today I have with us uh, Penn Parrish and Joe Scaramucci. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Good. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Good. So um, we're going to be talking today about uh, child prostitution, sex trafficking, um, sort of that whole whole genre, which is just a ball of laughs. I'm sure you guys agree. Um, it's a pretty, pretty disgusting topic, but I think it's an important one because I didn't really realize until fairly recently how pervasive it actually was. And I should know this because um, I will, I'll get to why I have a little bit of bona fides in this, in this arena as well at some point. But, uh, but before we go down that path, um, uh, Penn, you're just uh, about finished with a new book. Is that, uh, is that correct? Yeah, my fourth book um, is called Can You See Me? Uh, it chronicles the life of uh, an 11-year-old girl who was uh, uh, unfortunately orphaned uh, when cartels uh, uh, took her mother out. Mm -hmm. And um, it chronicles her being trafficked by her own family and uh, being... Um, trained uh, to traffic uh, in, in Mexico and then uh, shipped off to the United States. And it chronicles uh, her and uh, her friends. And these are true life stories. I spent a lot of time interviewing uh, young ladies who uh, were victims of trafficking. And so these are real life stories. And um, I started out, Robert, to write it as a um, work of nonfiction and it was uh, yeah, I thought terribly. It was terribly dry, and my uh, publisher suggested, "Look, it'll sound a lot better if you can make it a work of nonfiction, but use the truth in it." So that's what I've done, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, having that out in the next uh, thirty days. And and how how did you get involved in that? How did you decide to go down that path? I mean, what how does your how does your background lend to that? Yeah, um, I had. Uh, been involved one of the uh, through family members who are uh, active in the uh, law enforcement arena, but um, I have also done work with the uh, border patrol. Made very aware of that, uh, and recently, um, recently in the last couple of years, have become very good friends with Andrea Sparks, who's the former uh, head of uh, child sex trafficking for the state of Texas, the governor's office. And through uh, Andrea, I got involved in three different national charities uh, that are uh, raising money and, and do great things for victims of human trafficking. Uh, the one uh, that's nearest and dearest to my heart is Nicole's Place mm -hmm. here in Austin. 
Um, it is uh, Austin 20 is the group. And I am on the board, proud to say, we raise money to provide shelters uh, for these victims. And it's, it's just a, a wonderful thing that they do. Uh, the second charity uh, is Collective Liberty, which uh, Joe is very familiar with, all of these charities, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's out of D.C. They, um, I am an advisor to them, and uh, they uh, use technologies to uh, develop uh, means for uh, aiding law enforcement for uh, trafficking, uh, uh, checking where they could find these traffickers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other is um, the Lighthouse, and it's an Austin-based charity. And actually, uh, the company that I work with, um, Valkyrie Intelligence, has done some artificial intelligence for them that's proven very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. So... Along the way, I met this uh, incredible gentleman who will. Uh, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do your little bio here, uh, Joe. <laughs> you're a pretty interesting guy. You're a detective. Yeah. Uh, could you give me a little bit of background on what you're doing these days? Yeah, so I'm a detective with the sheriff's office in, in Waco, Texas, uh, McLennan County. I'm also assigned as a task force officer with Homeland Security Investigations out of Austin. Um, you know, I've been policing about 18 years. I've been in the anti-trafficking movement since 2014. Uh, kind of stumbled into it. Didn't didn't really intend on doing this at all. Uh, I, I actually, to be honest, was one of those people that just assumed it happened south of the border and had nothing to do with anything that we were doing here. Um, How wrong were you? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> if I knew then, I remember complaining about having to take a training on it. You know, why am I having to take this? This is you know crazy. Um, prior to that, I, I did uh, death investigation, sex investigation. So uh, for about seven years, I. I did those um, types of investigations o- over the years? It just led to more and more exposure for for our department and our, our methods and, and methodologies for really how we're targeting traffickers. Um, and I get to you know pretty blessed. I get to work a lot. Department of Justice, uh, many many of the federally funded task forces. I uh, get to support uh, their training and technical assistance. Um, some international work as well. Uh, just got back from from Poland and Ukraine, so heading back over there here. In a couple of weeks. So. Better bring your uh, flak jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. It's really interesting going into a, a war zone with nothing but a, a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. So um, we probably need to define a couple of words um, like CSAM, for instance, um, just so that we're talking about the same thing at the same time. The audience may not be as versed in this as you guys are. Can you, can you please uh, kind of explain what the different sort of how you divide these things out and how you think about them? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you brought up CSAM as an example, um, commonly referred to as child pornography. Um, there, there's been a very big push uh, to get away from that and use child sexual abuse material because that's what it is, right? So, uh, really, just calling things what they are. Um, there's no such thing as child pornography. Pornography is generally viewed as something that's consensual. It's, it's, you know. Um, I don't want to say a good thing because it's, it's not, but it's something people view as a pleasurable thing. Well, this is a child. It's not pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Um, so really calling it child sexual abuse material. One of the ones that really bothers me a lot is uh, a John. You know, when we talk about sex buyers, uh, my son's name is John. Mm. Uh, that's not the same. Uh, sure. you know, again, call it what it is. It's a person who pays for sex. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, using the terms uh, prostitute, I, I absolutely hate that word. I don't think that... Uh, there's just so much negativity that comes with it. And we view in many ways trafficking victims as prostitutes. 
um, and prostitutes as trafficking victims, and they're not they're not interchangeable. So, what about adult sexual abuse material? Because there are adults that are trafficked as as well. Not it's not oh, yeah. only children. Absolutely. Yeah. So, is there a term for that? Is it or is it? Did I just name it? Yeah, you <laughs> just named it. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, I'm, gonna, right. I'm gonna leave here and put it out on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we we call them sex workers. Okay. Okay, but not necessarily consensual in this case. Some do, some not. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like to I like to refer to people like that as person involved in commercial sex. Mm-hmm. We don't know what circumstance is going on. What their motive is. Yeah, no idea. Um, like Penn said, there are some people that are, are consensual. I, I would argue that it's extremely, extremely limited. Um, just because uh, you know we can say well, they're making a choice, but if you only have two or three choices, you know, sure. are, you, are you really making a choice? But uh, yeah. Yeah, I think words matter. Words are important. Of course they are. So how d- how does this whole thing work? Because there seems like there's a bit of an economy or maybe even a massive economy around there. Wh- what's sort of the, how does that work? Who gets paid? Who's getting paid off to make, make sure this all works the way it should work? No, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, it's traffickers. That's really it. Um, how does how does someone wake up one day and get into trafficking? Like how do, how does that how does that occur? It's a million dollar question. You know, I think if we knew we could head it off, I think economic uh, instability for one. Um, most Harvard graduates aren't going out and trafficking people. It happens. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you look at that. You look at culture, pop culture. We think about uh, you know I could say the word pimp, and I could say the word trafficker. If I say pimp, everybody thinks about you know. Just Snoop Dogg and, and, and nice cars and, you know, jewelry and all this. And it's somewhat gl- viewed as glamorous. Uh, if I say trafficker, people genuinely have a very different view of that. Uh, but they're the same thing, right? So who at the end of the day is ultimately making the money? It's it's traffickers. Um, you know, there's some hotel owners probably paid off here and there from time to time, of course. You know, depending on what country you're in or what location you're in, is it possible law enforcement's paid off? It is. It Strip happens. clubs. Um, you can... You you can go, the list goes on and on. The surprising uh, amount of places that you find these traffickers uh, will overwhelm you. Um, it's it's not limited to the to the cartels who are bad guys, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, there there are people that that build industries off of this, and they get very rich off of these. These pimps survive by having um, multiple girls on the street and, and coming back to them uh, with. With cash. Mm-hmm. So what does that end up looking like? Is What's the sort of the demographic breakdown? Is it mostly people out of their homes or is it mostly cartel? Like what, what is the breakdown of where the biggest problems lie? Um, if you had to tackle just like one of those issues. Domestic. Domest- there's domestic. Not a, you know, there's a huge misconception about cartel trafficking, gang related trafficking. For the most part, they're not trafficking, Right. Uh, what's the purpose of a cartel is to essentially make money to the top. If you're a trafficker, what do you want? You want money, right? Um, so I, a lot of times I like to say it's not necessarily that the Crips are trafficking. It's that a Crip is trafficking um, or, you know, kind of look at it that way. Um, if I had to tackle one particular form, it would be the hotel-based uh, nomadic with three girls um that is in terms of sex trafficking the biggest issue that we come across really? is just the one-off trafficker with two three girls and where did they find those girls typically oh i mean generally on the internet you know so uh the the biggest place for for recruitment and and um grooming is still facebook um instagram anywhere that somebody could drop into that that dm 
uh, and show their flashy pictures and, and tell somebody they're, they're pretty uh, is where you're going to find it. So that, that's not just those two platforms. You're, you're, you're ta- really talking about anything that some child might be on is a potential place. Yeah, any platform that a child or adult is on. Uh, if it has a chat communication on it, um, they will exploit it. So I obviously am a security expert, so I know quite a bit about these issues. But um, shouldn't it be impossible for children to be on these platforms in the first place? For instance, Facebook has a minimum of 15, I think. Um, is shouldn't that be the the thing that stops that from occurring at least for anybody under 15 should be what's yeah. what's what's happening what's the actual reality uh, the actual reality is i left a classroom full of seven-year-olds and asked them today how many of you have facebook or instagram and probably three quarters of them raised their hand it's amazing um yeah it's it's wild and uh, you know should they be under the age of 15 you, you can change the settings on there uh, create accounts where they can't uh, be found by adults. They're getting found by adults that that are also having accounts that look like they're 12 and 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it's tough. I mean, I did. you have to you have to fault the parents who are not watching what their underage children are doing. What about the social media platforms? Do you feel like there's any fault to to be had there? Do you think they should be doing more interrogation on who they let on the platform? This is a dicey one. Uh, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, for me, I I in many ways defend Facebook. So you look Mm -hmm. at at over the last couple years, we'll say two years ago, there was uh, 21 million cyber tips to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. 21 million. 20.3 million of those came from Facebook, right? So is Facebook doing a good job? Clearly they are. Um, the problem is, is in my opinion, you can go out and ask all these, you know, soccer moms, hey, what do you think? And they'll tell you, well, they should be going through and monitoring the communication, the, you know, all, all the, the discussion that's going on on Facebook. But I want my privacy. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You know, do you want them involved in the DMs or do you not want them involved in the DMs? It's that simple. Um, and, you know, it's tough you know, when when you're the number one organization submitting cyber tips by 99 percent 99 point some odd percent kind of looks like you're doing a good job so i'll get back to facebook in a while i think they're they're a big ball of wax that we should probably dig into a little bit more but and others and yeah, and, and, others. and many others it's not just them and i agree that they are doing something yeah not necessarily i wouldn't necessarily say a good job but they're doing something and we can applaud that um but let's talk about the demographics of the people who are getting traffic. So like what, what does that typically look like these days? Like what's the average person who's finds themselves in this situation? What's, what's their background? How old, what sex, et cetera. Yeah. So if you're looking at sex trafficking, primarily female males get trafficked, uh, trans get trafficked, you know, there's no, what, what rate is it male to female? That's, there's really no way to determine that. Right. Uh, if anybody's throwing out statistics at you when it comes to anti-trafficking, they're wrong. Period. They just don't know. They just don't know. How do we get these numbers? You know, there's there's no way to quantify something that's hidden. We, we can have an idea based on certain things, but if we look at uh, self-reported numbers to the, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, um, they'll tell you that about 16% of certain years, um, people that called in as victims, self-identifying, identified as male. Um, you can look at different organizations that'll say it's predominantly 96% female, you see very often. And there's a few reasons, I think, why those numbers are off. For one, when law enforcement's doing operations, what are we targeting? We're targeting females. 
Uh, I just talked with a police department in Texas and they, they couldn't figure out why they couldn't find males. And I'm like, you're not doing operations in the area where these, these males are. Um, generally you're, you're targeting the area where these, these females are. Um, because there's, there's, there's not a lot of boys at the strip club is what you're saying. Uh, no. Yeah, of course. I mean, is that, is that sort of the genre you're, you mean? Uh, yeah. You know, there's still tracks. There's still places where women walk up and down the street and, and cars are pulling up and, and those are all women, you know, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a male out there. So if we're not going where the males are, we're never going to find the males. Sure. Um, the, the males are more clandestine with their activities. Very much. Interesting. How so? What, what do they end up? What does that look like? It's, it's more of a private network um, that, that deal in that. The um, horde people like NAMBLA and, and those type of people that deal in that. Um, the uh, certain bars that, that cater to them, um, will you'll find trafficking there. Interesting. What's your feeling on NAMBLA? You gotta, you gotta have a strong. Is that the strong which one is that? National That's, Man Boy Love Association. Yeah, absolutely not. No, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. Horrific. You know, I the, the no, I absolutely not. You, you have no feelings on it. Oh, I have <laughs> no feelings. There's a lot of feelings. <laughs> no, I have a lot of feelings. I think that um, when we start making something uh, acceptable, we we're really doing a disservice to people. Um, uh, that. I, I can't even believe that's an organization. Yeah, it's, crazy. It's, it's been around for a long time. Yeah. You just have thought every one of them would have been raided by now, but apparently yeah. it somehow survives. When you, when you talked about um, age groups, it it ranges. There, there's a wide variety. And I'll give you a specific example. One example of a young lady that um, I spent quite a bit of time with uh, she was in, incarcerated at the first uh, when I first met her. Um, at the age of eleven, she was uh, living in South Texas, and um, her mother used her to sex tra- sex trafficked her own daughter to get drugs, and kept her into that until the mother was put in jail, and the daughter, the sex trafficked daughter, became property uh, of somebody else. And that was a, a, a pimp. And that pimp just kept engaging her, engaging her. And uh, she had suffered many arrests, uh, but uh, kept getting, you know, kept getting released and, and back into the same, uh, same old pattern. Um, she, uh, when I met her, she decided that she was uh, tired of the life and she was going to get out of it and go on. And um, when she got out, um, I was there to help her. Uh, Andrea was there to help her. And um, we got her on her feet, got her a job, got her started, and she fell right back into it. It's just a uh, habit that they, they get into. They get attracted to money. Uh, as thin as it is, these, these pimps don't give these girls much to keep them under control. They give them drugs to keep them under control, but Joe, you may have a little bit to add to that, but that's um, that's pretty bad when you get trafficked at eleven years old. That's a scar you can never get rid of. Yeah, it's interesting. You can talk to most trafficking survivors and go right down the list. I mean, you go right down the checklist. If it's not prior trafficking, it's child sexual abuse. Um, there's there's a lot of discussion on what is the demographic. A lot of people will tell you that you know average age of entry is twelve to fourteen years old. We need to look for. 
you know, go to Google, type human trafficking, click images. You're going to scroll down quite a bit before you see a woman of color. Uh, who's being trafficked the most? Women of color. Uh, there was a, a study. Why, why is that? I mean, why is it so, such a disparity between I mean, what's, we can what's reported and what's look, real? Yeah, well, I mean, look at the, the socioeconomic instability. Just, just everything. them being poor, is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah. I mean, why are you, what is your vulnerability that led to the trafficking? Right, again, not many Harvard graduates are being trafficked. Mm-hmm. So look at what's going on in, in the communities. Um, kids that come from impoverished families are, are vulnerable just because of the financial disparities. So, you know, there's so many systemic issues that, that really lead to, to the trafficking to begin with. But even looking at that, the majority of people that are being trafficked are not actually children. You know, we talk about children the most, sure. but average age of entry that's been self-reported is 18 to 19 years old. Mm. Um, what's happening there? You're, you're generally coming out of your household. If you don't have, you know, a, a solid, stable background, and you don't have the ability to go to college, or, you know, and, and somebody comes along and is telling you how pretty you are, you don't have any money, you know, and then shows you all the things that they have. It's, it's attractive. It, it they get attractive. Uh, and they'll go work in the strip clubs. Mm-hmm. And then when they're not in the strip clubs, they're uh, outperforming for their for their pimps. And it's just a cycle at that point. It's now, a horrible cycle. And, and cycle. now their children are in a similar situation. And well, You look at them and you, you look at how many uh, victims of trafficking are criminalized by law enforcement. They're arrested predominantly for prostitution, which I get and is just absolutely absurd to me. So what I try telling cops is you're literally creating more instability for them to be the victim of human trafficking. So you take a, a woman, say she's been arrested three times in the state of Texas. She's now a felon. And she's making two to three thousand dollars a day, turning, you know, maybe ten dates. Um, and you get her out of it. What's she going to do at that point, right? So you go especially and especially with an arrest record a mile long. Yeah. So you get her and, and you get her a job at Flying J Truck Stop. She's making ten dollars an hour, being screamed at by a boss. Why am I going to make ten bucks an hour? Fifteen, twenty bucks an hour. I can go make twenty bucks and she can turn in, yeah, at that same truck stop. She can turn into a lot lizard. Make a lot of money. Got it. So what about the kidnapping aspect? Because not all of this is, you know, just someone who's impoverished, uh, impoverished looking for a way out. A lot of this, or not necessarily a lot, but some at minimum is someone being actually taken from the street or taken from someone's home or being sold out from underneath um, a family. Uh, it's how, how common st- is that? What, what's the terminology? Statistically un. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very small. It's very saying? small. I've identified two oh, more than two hundred seventy victims at this point of human trafficking. I've only ever had one that was even near uh, kidnapping. Um, in the United States, it's not very common. It's ex- it, it is. You see it. You see it in Nigeria. You see it in uh, Southeast Asia. Um, you see it in other African uh, communities and in the uh, uh, some of the Slavic states. It's pretty yeah. predominant. Bulgaria is horrible. So in that case, the <clears throat> what we're actually seeing is not so much selling the children, but just grooming them within the families. Just grooming, yeah. So some adult, typically male, will start abusing their either their kids or their nephews or daughters or whatever. Right? Is that is that the idea? I mean, if it's familial trafficking, yes. You know, um, if it's not, it's it's a somebody who's smooth with their mouth. That's all it is, and they're they're telling them, hey, if you're having sex anyway. 
might as well make some money off of it. If you're going to be doing this, you might as well be making $300 an hour doing it. Bucks an hour is a lot of money. I've never made that. Well, not, you know, for the most part. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, I, that's a lot of money. Now you take the fact that this person's had 10 years of child sexual abuse history where they didn't have the ability to make that choice. And now they feel that they have a choice. It's hard. So is, is that really a choice or are they actually in such a place where if they tried to leave, they would be endangering their lives? Oh, absolutely. You know, in many, many cases, yes. Um, but there's also, you have to have to remember it's a psychological game. You know, we talk about uh, Stockholm syndrome. I don't necessarily think that has a ton to do with trafficking, but learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. You've been taught to be helpless. You've been taught to not be able to make these decisions. And, you know, a lot of times traffickers will say you can leave, but you leave with what you came with. which is nothing, you know. Um, And that may, like Penn said, it may last. It's a very brief period. And a lot of them are um, kept under the influence of uh, narcotics. And that's a way to exert a tremendous amount of control. Without question. Yeah, I've never been, I've never uh, had the the misfortune to have to come off of heroin, but I've seen what it does to people. And you keep somebody sick if they don't turn a trick. That's that's a hell of a way to do it, you know? And where else are they going to get that kind of money? Yeah. It's sadistic, I mean, but it's... It's a very good control mechanism. All right. So let's talk about the people actually doing the the pimps themselves, the traffickers themselves. So w- is there like a, a obvious signal that you're like, okay, this is, this is somebody who's involved in this. Is there, you know, can I go to a hotel and see someone with three girls in tow and say, that's probably what's going on? Like what, what are some of the obvious clues that somebody just kind of going through their life might be able to help you identify this kind of stuff? For me, um, you know, if I was to pull in a, a parking lot, it would depend on the hotel, right? So we were actually talking yesterday. If I pull into a Motel 6 going for, you know, an undercover on, on a date with what we believe is a trafficking victim, and there's a Lexus sitting in the parking lot, people with a brand new Lexus generally have the money to be able to stay at a Hilton, right? We're not going to stay at a Motel 6. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that are really obvious. Um, not saying that everybody that drives a Lexus at a, you know, Motel 6 is, is trafficking, but... Um, when I see somebody just sitting in the car for extended periods of time, it's cause they're looking out for the cops and, or there's a date in the room. Um, so, uh, for me, it would just be really kind of the situational awareness. Um, what makes sense? And it doesn't make sense for somebody to just sit idle in a car, you know, especially a high end car, mm-hmm. um, at an econ- economy rate hotel. Sure. They're, they're, they're not for the most part, the, uh, description that you get from watching movies guys with the fedoras with the feather and the uh, bright red suits sure. and uh um no they're they're guys that uh, look like you and me and um sit in the like you said sit in the car waiting for their uh, trick to be done move on to the next uh, same the same with the uh fellows that work the truck stops um that uh, have their uh, two or three women in, in a van and and they're working uh signals from truckers that know that they're uh, looking for a trick and um, they, they sit and wait in the van and put the, you know, the three or four girls to work in the trucks and that's how, that's how it goes. What about the demographics of people molesting their own children? Is there, is there a way to sort of obviously see that from a distance? Is that sort of, 
Because that seems like so hidden to me. I mean, you're so now embedded in people's lives. That would be a very difficult thing to identify. Yeah, familial trafficking is extremely difficult. Um, you really can't do it without an outcry uh, from the victim or from sometimes you'll find where a buyer has remorse. Really? Yeah, and it'll come forward and say, hey. Somehow very surprising to me. Yeah, you'll find that every now and then, but it's it's not very and often. Why does that happen? Is that like a call to religion or is that... Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think at the end of the day, there's more good people in the world than bad, right? And and I don't know how to word it. Especially a guy that uh, has a conscience that's just um, turned a trick with a girl that is obviously 13 or 14. And you know, he's, he walks out of there feeling guilty as hell and goes, what have I done? Yeah. Interesting. That's still very surprising to me because you're basically admitting to a crime at that point, and yeah. that could be serious consequences. Uh, joking to address this, but um, um, that that's that happens so much at massage parlors. Joe Joe busts a lot of massage parlors. Interesting. Yeah, massage parlors are kind of my that's your specialty. Forte. Yeah. <laughs> um, be careful who you say that to. <laughs> yeah. No, I've I've been you know fortunate enough to work those uh, all over the country, uh, Asian countries, uh, European countries. Uh, and they're all the same. They're all the exact same. And and one of the things that's interesting with that, um, with massage parlor trafficking, is I think that because they're out of sight, we tend to look at, at the victims different, right? We don't see them in front of us on the street. Um, usually when one gets busted, especially, you know, where I'm at, uh, when one gets shut down, you'll have people come forward. Hey, I was in there. Um, really? Why? Because they know we're coming. What is interesting. Your t- so it's a plea deal at that point from their perspective. I think it's a, a preemptive it, plea deal. I th- yeah, I think it's one of those, if I come to you first, things won't be as bad. Interesting. Um, because we will go find them. I mean, I, I literally sat uh, with an agency, some other state the other day. I don't remember where I was. And uh, we were thumbing through the, the receipts from the credit cards. Mm. Go talk to each one of these people. Wow. So, yeah. That um, story you told me some time ago about the Waco massage parlor where you guys staked it out forever, uh, that, that's a good good example. Well, we yeah, we got lucky on, on one. It was really interesting. It was, it was two that were connected by an owner. And uh, the date we ran the search warrants, my partner at the time came in with an alarm clock. He said, I think it's a camera. You know, Why do you think it's a camera? He said, well, it's got an SD card in the back. Uh, so, you know, FBI calls that a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when we started, you know, conducting the search warrants and actually going through those, um, we identify, we were able to identify 405 individual people. Now, these these clocks were in the rooms, so every sex act was on tape. Um, it was really wow. interesting. Yeah, we, we charged a lot of buyers, and as word got out, then people started panicking because they knew we were coming if we could identify you. Uh, so we were having preachers come forward. Uh, we arrested law enforcement. We arrested millionaires, you name it. Everybody went to jail as a result of this. Um, wow. And it was interesting because it, it gave and what, us. And why? what were these clocks for? Why did they put them in there? I think the owner did it to make sure she was never getting cheated on the money. I think it was a means to, to monitor what was happening. Not future blackmail. She caught herself. I don't think so. Yeah, she yeah. caught herself. And it, it was oh. it was good because she you could see her switching out girls, the whole nine yards. Uh, one thing that was interesting to me uh, in, a, in a very negative way is the amount of forcible rapes that I watched actually occur on tape. Uh, I'm talking women being picked up, thrown over beds, fought the whole nine yards. Um, and we typically don't see that 
you know, when we talk about IMB traffic, illicit massage business trafficking, because we think about who's the clientele there. Generally speaking, middle-aged white dudes wearing wedding rings um, and with good careers. Um, so we don't really consider that, and it's it's an extremely violent uh, setting. I heard one stat, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I'd love to get your take on it, that approximately 5% of all people in the United States trade or could be going to jail for CSAM material. Does that Does that sound right to you? I've never heard that. I don't know where that would come from. I don't know how you could measure that. Um, it was a it was a back of the napkin rough estimate. But yeah. um, what, what would you put the number at if you had to throw a wild guess out there? I couldn't even. Yeah, it's too hard to tell. Because if it's if it is that high, and I'm not saying it is, it's um, massive. That's that means that by the time I'm done with season two, at least one of those people could theoretically be arrested. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's accurate. I, well, I think it could be if you, you really start breaking and this is where we start splitting hairs, right? You have 18 year old boy, 17 pictures of a 17 year old girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Is that child sexual abuse material? It is. It is. Yes. Right. So should we include him in that statistic? I think the answer is yes, because it's completely illegal, but, but many states also have the three-year rule where it's actually not. So how do we... The Romeo and Juliet Romeo law. and Juliet laws, yeah. right? Similar yeah. to sexual assault, sexual abuse that, that we know. Um, I, I don't believe you could put 100 people in a room and five of them have child sexual abuse material. Okay. I don't, I don't so think, you think it's, it's less that. than that. I think it's less. Okay. Okay. Now, the uh, state attorney general's office could probably give me pretty good statistics on that. I'd be curious. Because if it is that high, that means we're fighting a fighting force of people who are you know, not particularly well networked currently, but easily could figure out ways to start networking and have political laws, put laws in place like those Romeo and Juliet laws or, you know, absolutely change the, the age of consent to 15 in Hawaii mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. I mean, there's all these examples where there's kind of like, why does that law even exist? So, yeah, when you look at a lot of, of, of laws, people oftentimes ask, like, why did this law not pass? And, and I hate to be this way, but it, you know, spade to spade. I always ask who, who pays for sex generally. And it really depends on what kind of trafficking you're talking about. Why do bills get shot down when it comes to illicit massage trafficking? Like I said, who's primarily in there? Middle-aged white men, who's lawmakers? All right, not to throw too much of a conspiracy theory out here, but um, I met Ken Paxton one time through Penn, actually, and um, he was talking about uh, all the things he had done for Texas, and it was kind of a fundraiser thing. But one of the things that kind of blew my mind, he was talking about he wanted to – basically have the ability to go run any case he wanted in the state of Texas. Just go pick his case. Um, And, and it didn't, not only did it not go through, but he got massive backlash from the other AGs. Yeah. All the DA offices. And I had to ask, I'm like that, that first of all, that just, I don't understand why they'd care. Maybe for the political aspect, like we don't want you going on a political witch hunt, but you could have easily just horse traded and say, well, not that, but if you want to go after child prostitution issues, fine. If you want to go after, uh, you know, uh, some sort of, you know, sex trafficking, whatever, those are on the table. You can go after those. Or drugs, let's say. You can go after those. But just not no political witch hunts. The amazing thing in the state of Texas is that county DAs wield unbelievable power. And there is very, very little oversight on them. 
The only way a DA can be removed is by the legislature. But so again, not to throw too much of conspiracy theory out there, and and some other people I've talked to, and you know, three-letter agencies firmly disregard this as even a possibility. But I think it's weird that they didn't just come back with, if you want to go after a child, you know, sex abuse issues, fine. Everything else is not allowed. They didn't do that. They just said no. Mm-hmm. Why would they say no? What are I, well? I mean, there's is obviously it, is it some purely just you know protecting my little part of the world, or is there something? Yeah, I don't there? think yeah. they should have the ability to do that. You can go look at the statistics for the attorney general's office for their human trafficking unit. How many convictions have they secured in the last couple of years? Four. Yeah. Two traffickers were given deferred adjudication by our attorney general's office. Deferred adjudication. When that probation's completed, it's not even on the record. That's not a conviction, in my opinion. Yeah. So are they equipped to do that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, There's some wonderful men and women that work there. I'm not by any stretch saying that they're not fully capable. Sure. Um, But I also think that once you do that, you take away from your local district attorney. So Um, you think the DA should have that power and them alone? I think the DAs should have the ability to prosecute within the county that they're, or counties that their network, that their circuit is. Um, because what you would inevitably end up happening, and, and I was very vocal and loud about the inability to, or, you know, not letting them do that, um, is then you have people who can cherry pick cases. Well, this one's difficult. You keep dealing with it. This one's a cooperative 15 year old girl. It's really good. It's going to look really good for us. Mm-hmm. Now I have the ability to cherry pick it. Mm. You can't have that. I like the idea of always having a backup, you know, so let's say the local DA isn't doing their job. At least someone can go in and say, look, this is just getting out of hand at the border, let's say, or in this certain region in Austin or one of these other major metropolitan areas where there's a lot of people, you know, but that goes back to, to the way the, the state constitution is designed, right? We want to have the elected DAs do their job. And if you're not doing it, as is in Travis County, you need to find a new DA. Vote them out. Vote them out. That's it. Now, the border is a complete just, different just, issue. Just wait years, and then finally this might get dealt with. Yeah. yeah. Not not great. Okay, so <laughs> this is just a ball of fun. Uh, okay, so what happens to the kids? So they get rescued or whatever happens, and then what? What happens? It's a million-dollar question, right? Um, like I just said a few minutes ago, that one girl that we thought had so much promise uh, and swore up and down that she was on the straight and narrow, and, and for a while she was. But that lure and those pimps hounding her drug her back in. How, how often does that happen as a percentage, do you the think? Recidivism is extremely high. Extremely, extremely high. high. Yeah, you're looking at... Oh, gosh. I, I don't even know that you could put a number to it, but it, it's high. It's very high. More than 50%, you think? Oh, God, oh yeah. Absolutely. It, I would yeah. say almost 90%. Almost 90 is right. Really? Yeah. Wow. So they very just rare. they get a taste for it, and that's their life. Yeah, I mean. Is it the drugs? Is it? Not, no, not not more often than not. It's it's They're sober. A lot of pimps will not let their women do drugs. Interesting. You know, think about it like a used car. If I give you two cars both identical and one is dented and has cosmetic issues. And I give you your pick of which one you're going to pick the one that looks better. Same thing with human beings. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're paying for a commodity for a product. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily the drugs. I think it's 99% psychological and, and 
you know, look right. at it similar to domestic violence. How often, how long does it take a woman to just to you know escape a domestic violence situation? Usually, a long time. Um, now, add in not only is it that domestic violence, but we're also making time to have fun. So now we're in Austin. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to go to South by Southwest. You know, we're going to enjoy all these cool things and in this lavish. Look at the the Lexus we have and all of those things. It, it, you know, counterbalances it, it, you look at yourself and what's going on and you may hate it, but then you're looking at everything else and it's enjoyable. It's by design from the trafficker. It's an interesting point that he brings up too. And, and I know you'll concur on this one, but major events attract a lot of pimps Super Bowl. Um, mm, so I've worked the last two Super Bowls. Um, that's right. Yeah. One in Tampa, I'll give you an example. Um, you have 4,000 cops descending on one location for one purpose, right? So if, if we were to say, hey, 4,000 cops going to Super Bowl in Phoenix this year, I want you to do nothing but arrest people for heroin. We can then argue that heroin dealing is the biggest thing around the Super Bowl, right? Sure. So it just anecdotally and just in my experience, we'll, we'll use Florida as an example. Um, we'd ask, why are you here? You're from New York. Once middle of COVID, Florida's wide open. We came here because we can do whatever we want. And then... Oh, while we're here, here we go. Um, very few people, very few people said that they came for the Super Bowl itself. Uh, flip side, think about it like this. If I'm a trafficker in Houston, say Austin, and I know the Super Bowl is in Phoenix and there's going to be 5,000 cops arresting everybody, I'm staying here. I can make more money, right? Supply and demand, and I don't have to worry as much. Uh, one of the other things to really do is uh, look at the Super Bowl in, in L.A. Uh, 500 Human trafficking arrest, right? Um, very similar to, to Tampa. If you if you file a Freedom of Information Act request, as I did, and get the names of everybody, you would find that about 450 of those arrests were actually women for selling prostitution. So we're really damaging, doing more damage than good when we put all these cops there to make all these arrests because we're not really arresting traffickers. The Super sure. Bowl in Miami only had three trafficker arrests, three. I, and I apologize. I think that's what I meant, that there was quite a bit of that going on at, yeah. at, the, at these events, uh, not so much the traffickers themselves. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I would say buyers probably increase a little bit. The mm-hmm. only, anecdotally, the only thing that I really noticed, just personally, in the months leading up to uh, Tampa, for instance, I didn't realize there was a strip club next to my hotel till Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I was driving to the hotel, and I was like, what in the world is going on here? I saw that increase, right? Um so definitely more patrons at, at the strip clubs, but does that equal an increase of trafficking? It's really hard to. Yeah. So what happens? <clears throat> we talked about the more adults that get rescued, or or at least people who are you know let's say teenagers. But what happens for the you know infants and uh, very very young that uh, get rescued? What what is their life after? Well, that's tough. I mean, you talk about trauma even predating birth, right? So. I mean, there's, there's tons of studies that are out there. You know, I recommend obviously a lot with Brene Brown and her podcast and, mm-hmm. you know, just talking about trauma. I mean, it's, it's, there's plenty of data to support the fact that it happens. You're suffering from trauma prior. So, um, at four years old, three years old, you know, is there trauma that that's going to occur? Absolutely. Are they going to deal with that for the rest of their life? Absolutely. There's no two ways, you know, to get around that. Um, but when we get and we really start looking at that age, statistically speaking, again, it's a very, very small percentage of children at that age that are being trafficked, mm-hmm. uh, extremely small. Um, one, one thing you find a lot, and especially in the news and with law enforcement, some, there's an attorney, 
the Missouri Attorney General is real big on this. Well, we rescued a four-year-old. Mm. Four-year-old's mom is a sex worker. He didn't rescue the kid. He didn't rescue the kid from anything. Probably a bad home life, but not trafficking, you know. So it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough all the way across the board. Interesting. So um, I know we kind of discounted the border towns as being a um, – a avenue for some of this, but surely there is some amount of human trafficking going on at the border. Is that, is that just such a small number? You don't even think about it these days because there's millions of people coming across the border. Yeah. And, and from what I gather, at least some of them are being used purely as sort of a decoy and saying, this is, this is my child, even though it's not my child. Now what happens to that child afterwards is anyone's guess, but they, they go back south and then they get recirculated, right? So the you know, Border Patrol exactly. can turn around and say, this kid's crossed eight times with eight different people. Um, when it comes to trafficking on the border, it's it's, a, it's an interesting beast. Uh, most politicians will tell you about how horrible the human trafficking is on the border. We have a smuggling crisis. We have a human smuggling crisis. There's no doubt. It's, it's mind-blowing, you know. Um, it's really interesting. I was doing some stuff in, um, in McAllen, and when I was chatting with, potential sex buyers, when I introduced the thought of a kid, I had not a single one willing to buy a kid, not one. If I do the same thing in Beaumont, 40% generally end up in an arrest for somebody trying to buy a kid. Mm. Um, so when we look at... Why is that? Why is it so different? I don't know. No idea. Just the cartels say, don't do it? Hey, you know, I think obviously cartels run a lot of stuff in the, in the border. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's why some of the cities are so safe. But um, <laughs> I mean, honestly... Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't have that answer. I, I can tell you that my concern is not an increase in sex trafficking as a result of the border crisis. I don't think it's increased. I don't think it's going to increase significantly. Um, where my concern lies is over the next five years, what's going to happen with all these people who came here for a better life and are being exploited through labor. That's things. where it's going to happen. Exactly it's where the it's going to happen. The labor portion of it. Yeah. So they're going to get here. They're going to be so poor. They're going to be looking for their next. That's why they're here, right? Yeah. Trying to. And the women are going to seek low-hanging fruit. And that's how you end up with prostitution down uh, below 35 down here, let's say. Yeah, that was that was an interesting kind of eye-opener for me living downtown is um, I saw there was some amount of sex work going on. <clears throat> and on the surface, I don't really care that much that someone wants to sell their body. But what happened around that was very interesting. You know, you, now you start seeing the drug dealers come in and now you start seeing like territorial disputes and... And there's a lot more going on there than just that one, you know, but human, it might be completely consensual from their perspective, but it's sort of this ancillary network of people that has to be there to sort of make that whole thing work that gets, that's, that's where the real crime starts really popping up. Even if you could say that that is hundred percent consensual. Yeah. I think again, consent is, is such a, a, a difficult thing under those circumstances. I've never met a, a person engaged in commercial sex that said that their first choice in life was to become a, a sex worker. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why are you here? And, and you know, <clears throat> we can really evaluate that for everything it's worth. And generally speaking, there's reasons why they're there. Um, so consensual, I, I don't know, but when you look at kind of what you said, all the crimes that circ- you know, kind of circle it, um, ask, ask most trafficking victims, Who's the most violent person in your life? It's not the trafficker. It's the buyers. Mm. Um, so when you look at the amount of people that are physically assaulted, murdered, beaten, whatever, by somebody as a result of that commercial sex, it's usually the buyers, not the traffickers. How many How many of those get reported? Oh, very few. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you That's look what at, I would think. 
So the, the woman has no incentive really to stop that person. You're just never going to go out with them again. No, I, you know, it's, it's no, they'll, they'll definitely communicate to other, other women. Hey, don't answer this number. Right. Um, but you know, let's be real. Um, I can't tell you how many times uh, a woman has reported a sexual assault. How are how are you sexually assaulted? You're a prostitute, right? That's crazy. It's law enforcement. It's, it's mind blowing. I mean, this person's not a victim of crime because of the circumstances they're in. That's crazy. Um, but I've mm. seen too, where they get, they get arrested for, for doing their role in that crime. And you're like, but what about the guy who actually committed the crime? Yeah, they've been horribly brutalized. Yeah. And, and a lot of times by the system, mm-hmm. right? So what, why do I need to, to trust you? I saw an arrest in Wichita Falls. It made me sick. I wanted to uh, – but they, they put this girl's mugshot on the, on the news, and, and throughout the story they had arrested her for prostitution. She was uh, exchanging sex for um, some kind of little cinnamon fries for breakfast from Sonic. Jesus. Now, how do you, how good do you feel by yourself? You arrested this person who's trying to literally eat. That is mind blowing. Why would she ever report a crime to the Wichita Falls Police Department at this point? Right. No reason. Right. And I, and I get it. There's no reason to trust them. Right. So I have a personal story about um, my involvement and why I care about this particular thing. So once upon a time, I watched this movie sleepers. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. Um, And uh, I watched it with my dad and he basically said to me, why don't you, or why doesn't somebody, you know, just get online and start finding these people? You know, it seems like you should be able to do that. And especially since I was a security guy, I am a security guy. So I thought it was a good idea. And so I found somebody, <clears throat> a friend of mine to co-start an organization called EHAP, Ethical Hackers Against Pedophilia. And we basically went into a bunch of chat channels and, you know, underground forums or whatever, anything we could find that we could think of, um, Usenet groups and so on. And very quickly we found a lot. It wasn't, you know, this wasn't like a many day long expedition down the rabbit hole. This is pretty much right away. And we had a couple interesting mishaps where we were actually hacking each other at one point, which I thought was really funny. But uh, for the most part, we were just right doing exactly what you would expect us to do. We're finding the bad guys and, um, tracking as much as we could about them. Now they were all using encrypted form, uh, forms of communication, even back then. And this is, you know, 20 years ago now or plus. Um, so we couldn't actually see most of the material. It was actually quite rare that we could see anything if ever, you know, it's just like occasionally someone would mess up and it would be publicly accessible, but for the most part it was all encrypted. So what we were doing was basically just monitoring the unencrypted communication, which is usually just how to set up the encrypted chat or how to like communicate in, you know, ways that can evade the police and, you know, following that part of the, f- the chat, which is all publicly accessible because they need, you know, the next person to understand how to do it. This is an organization called Pedophile U, as in Pedophile University, as in they teach you how to be a pedophile, which is uh, pretty awful. And um, we ended up, I actually ended up being the guy to bust them um, because it turns out that they, uh, one of the, the heads of this thing basically was using a uh, communication unencrypted to another guy saying, hey, you probably live down the street from me. Uh, hell, you probably are my next door neighbor. And I'm like, how would he know that? Like, what, what, there's nothing about this communication itself. But I realized in the headers of the, of the document uh, had his IP address. And I realized that they, the guy was after was using a VPN and protecting himself. The guy who was new, who wasn't trained yet, they're right next door. And that's how it ended up breaking the case open. So it was a bust of like 37 people or something like that, which was at the time, I think the largest bust in history. Now, innocent images just blows us away. Those numbers are rookie 
compared to what they do these days. So I learned a lot during that process, um, a lot about both the law and how things kind of work and the background and some of the awful things that happen like pay-per-view child rapes and all kinds of insane things that even by today's standards are pretty insane that such a thing it would possibly exist 20 years ago. And, and yet it did. And there it was, and there's all these very technical people helping out and like trying to make it better and, you know, internet innovation at its finest. So, I came out of that with a bunch of different feelings about it. <clears throat> Number one, I definitely get the idea of why even a single image should be considered legal. Totally get it. Although, obviously, I was doing something. I had a different purpose in mind of, for that, and it was really gut-wrenching to watch this go down. Number two, um, we actually ran into one of the women who had her images publicly accessible. We actually had a, a something run on the news at one point, and she got in contact with us and said, Hey, I'm one of those people. And I can see my images out there. I like, I know where they are. Like I can, I'm seeing myself being raped over and over again. Every time these get things gets reported back to the victim, you know? Uh, and then number three, I realized I never wanted to do that ever again. I never wanted to spend another minute looking at that stuff or thinking about it really outside of conversations like this. Cause it was just awful. Like it really, really turned my whole brain inside out. And, and I just, I mean, massive depression. How do you kind of feel about your job? I mean, obviously you've been doing it for eight years, just this particular thing that you're doing now. Like how do you, how do you feel about this whole industry? Uh, I love it. Uh, for me, I, I'm really good at compartmentalizing things. Right. So, um, I remember I worked with a, uh, had a new guy that was working with me several years ago and he told me, he said, you know, this, these images that we had done this case on, he said, man, it's, it's messing with me. I'm not having I'm not with my wife and you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, I told him, I said, what you're looking at is not sex. Don't confuse the two. What you're looking at is rape and you're looking at evidence. That's all it is. It's evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, we really start digging into it for me, you know, as law enforcement, I can put you in prison for burglary, theft, homicide, child sexual abuse material, trafficking. Mm-hmm. I don't like burglars, but it's not my thing, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I look at it and I'm like, where am I making the biggest impact? And for me, it's in dealing with those people because sure they're truly the most heinous evil pieces of crap that walk the face of the earth. So they really are. And and to that point in that particular pay-per-view child rape, the mother was holding the child down while the dad was doing the thing. This was a family organization. Yeah. Very common. So that same particular case I just mentioned, I remember um, as I was scrolling through the the images and the videos, I I came across one that uh, looked homemade. And uh, when I clicked it, uh, the child was obviously being being raped, and he said the man's name was my suspect. Mm. So at that point, I knew, like, this is a hell of a victory. This guy's going to go to prison for the rest of his life, and now we can get help for this kid. Other than nobody would have ever known if he never outcried. Um, so... Yeah, to me, is it is it fun? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, when it comes to that side of it, but you know, it's to me, it's a tremendous impact that 
I wouldn't find in burglary investigations. So it's it it's the same have? thing with me. Um, I deal with it uh, not every day like Joe does, but That's as right. I write about it, as I speak about it, as I do my charitable work. And meet more you, victims, too. You're, yeah, you're meeting a lot of people. A these lot days. of victims. Yeah. And you have to compartmentalize it, like Joe said. Um, do you want to take out every one of these bastards? Yeah, I do. Um, can you? No, you're not going to be able to do it. But you can, as Joe is doing it, he's doing it one guy at a time, and he's doing a hell of a job. Sure. So I was um, definitely more of a black hat than a white hat hacker at the time um, that I started this whole thing. And that is the reason I actually became a white hat hacker, or I would say more gray, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can never be completely white. But, um, but the reason why is I just could not look myself in the mirror and think during the evening, my evening hours, I'm saving kids. And during the day, I'm, you know, doing something bad. Like that just, it just, I couldn't make that work in my brain. And so that was pretty much the last time I did anything even vaguely interesting. Um, but it also made me quit the organization. Um, like I just could not, I couldn't reconcile all these things that were going on in my head at the same time. I'm like, I just need to step back. And it went on and it continued to run for years after my departure, but uh, with some very great people, by the way, but I personally had to take a big step back. What's the attrition rate like on these types of things? Are, are you seeing like, People in your organization just run for the hills, or are they in it to win it? You know, I've seen, you know, some departments will, will limit you, say, two years. You can only do two years of this, and you move on. I don't agree with that. Um, I don't think you, for one, even know what you're doing for the first year and a half. Um, I, I get why they do it, but I think if you have people who, who can do it and can do it, um, you know, and, and it not affect them you know, in such a negative way that it's a problem. Um, but, you know, I've had people work with me for six months, walk in, hand the phone, say I'm done. Sure. And, you know, I've had people that uh, we've worked together for years. Uh, I think it's just each individual person. I think uh, kind of as you stated, you know, looking at that stuff is, is traumatic. Um, how do you deal with it? You know, and Joe anyways, has a passion and it's obvious. I have a very good memory, and uh, I think that's part of the problem. I, I just can't forget it. Well, yeah, to, so. to your point, though, um, technology has got to advance. We've got to get more technology involved in, in hunting these predators. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, some of the things that are being done with, with artificial intelligence and machine learning are, are helping, but there's a lot that needs to be done. And well, it's just, for example... Uh, looking at pictures uh, online or you can't tell whether the girl is 12 or th sometimes you can, but you can't tell whether she's 12 or, or 19. And so that goes undetected. Now there are certain sites that, you know, say this is, you know, for 12 and 13 year old girls, but sure. um, more, more advancements need to be made in, made in that front and more busts need to be made, which he's, spearheading sure. on, on pornographers. Um, they're despicable. So, okay, let's talk about the duty to file or duty to um, announce that I've found this evidence or whatever. Um, how seriously does the government look at that uh, retroactively and say, well, we saw this thing posted. Who, 
who did see this on Facebook? Because clearly someone saw it. Um, was it five people, 100 people? And then backtrack who those people are and kind of say, well, you, even if you didn't enjoy this material, you had a duty and you failed to report this kind of thing. Like how, how seriously do you take that? Um, I think it would depend on the amount of images, right? So if, if you have somebody that, that we can show that they viewed an image, uh, we don't know if it was intentional, accidental, especially on something like Facebook. Sure. You start getting a dark web and you're digging around, you know what you're doing, right? Yep, yep. Um, but if, if you're on Facebook and you come across it, uh, you know, that's one thing. Um, the way most laws work too, there's filing for not reporting a felony um, isn't as easy as you think. Um, there have to be... S- very certain parameters within that. Sure. What and, are they? What, give me an example. Uh, for one, we have to be able to prove that you're in no danger by reporting it, right? So mm-hmm. what is danger to you? I don't know. If I came across it, and, and my first defense would be if I if I was somebody that they came to me, I'd be like, look, I saw it. I didn't know if this was Russian organized crime, and now they know who I am, my IP address, my Facebook account. I didn't know what to do. You know, I panicked and, and clicked out. You know, barring kind of what Penn just said, if I ask you, you know, I didn't know if that person was 12 or 15 or 17, or I, I just didn't know. It made me uncomfortable, so I clicked out. Um, now, if we have that 20, 30, 40 times, mm-hmm. you're not just accidentally poking around. Sure. You know, I've never – it's one thing that we always talk about when, when we're interviewing people for, for child sexual abuse material is, um, you know, I always try to provide them an out. What did you accidentally click that led to this? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I was, I was watching uh, – uh, Pornhub and I click this and click, you don't go from Pornhub to child you know, sexual abuse material that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so really having, you have to evaluate everything for what it is, you know, every single sure. crime. Sure, sure. So one thing that I think is kind of interesting about that though, is there really is no carve out for like citizen vigilantes like I was once upon a time or citizen journalists or whatever who aren't at all interested in the material, but definitely interested in either the what's going on in the culture, what's driving people to it or trying to find them and report them or whatever. Like what's, what's your personal take on that? I realize what the law is, but what do you, where do you, where do you stand on that? Let's put, it, let's, let's put it this way. If someone came to you and said, Hey, I ran an invest, my own personal investigation. I found these three child pornographers. Are you going to go, Hey, let me look at your hard drive and bust you. Or are you going to say, I get what you were trying to do here? Like what, what is that would really have to be evaluated for what it's worth. Right. Sure. And, and the thing is most people, that's the number one excuse. Actually, when we kick a door, I've been, I found this, I saved all these images and I was going to bring them to you. It's number one excuse. Really? Absolutely. 100%. You could, it's almost the same song and dance every time. So the question is like, what really was the intent? If you're downloading a hundred, hundred images, like I, I'm sorry, but I not really buying this. Right. Um, also looking at what the background is, right? Are you a cyber person? And this is kind of what your background, you're trying to ethically hack. Sure. Um, it goes back to, to one thing, though, to me, is people don't want to look at children being raped. No. Nope. Nobody wants to see it. Nope. So if you're intentionally going and looking for it for whatever purpose, there's something there that is not. Not right. Not right. Right. You know, and, and one of the things we see is a lot like vigilante uh, organizations and anti-human trafficking. We're going to go out rescue. We're going to bring you all this. If you want to be the police, I can show you where the police academy is. You can go, you can study, you can learn all this stuff, learn how to do it, come on and do it. But 
you know, you don't get to, to do this whole. Leave it to the professionals. Yeah. It's, it's such a dicey issue there. All right. So there's so much to unpack there. Okay. So I actually have an interesting story about this, um, this number one excuse, get out of jail free card. So one day I got a ping um, from this old chat forum that I had set up like a million years ago, basically a way to get in touch with me. Um, I kind of forgot it was even working. Like no one ever went there, but I got this message. I'm like, what is this? And it says it's from the DHS. Yeah, right. And so I try to trace him back. I'm like, oh, this, oh, oh, crap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. DHS actually is trying to get in touch with me. So I reach out to this detective, um, uh, Homeland Security, and he's like, hey, uh, we need to come by uh, your office. We need to talk to you about some stuff. I'm like, okay, well, here's where I work and whatever. So these agents show up, a number of them show up in my office and they have questions for me, um, which is extremely awkward because I worked at eBay at the time. So this isn't like some hole in the wall somewhere. This is like parading people through this, you know, Fortune 500 or whatever. Uh, It was very, very awkward anyway. And so they basically said, hey, there's this guy who claims that he knows you um, and claims that you told him to download a whole bunch of child pornography and then put malware in there. And then he would then upload it to all these servers and then they would execute the malware and then he would know who they are or something. Right. And I'm like, okay, I, you got to send me whatever information you can on this guy. Like, I don't know. Maybe I did talk to him at some point. I talked to a lot of people. So please send me whatever you have on the name or whatever. So they did. And I did everything I could to figure out if I'd ever talked to this guy, name never appeared anywhere. And any, I had back then I really did have every email I'd ever sent kind of thing, multiple drive failures ago, but um, but anyway, nope, nothing. And I had proof for it and I can show them if they actually wanted to dig through my email or whatever. I'm like, nope, nope. But furthermore, the exploit that he was talking about didn't come out until after they busted him. So his excuse didn't time-wise jive with the exploit that he was talking about. So I proved that to them. I'm like, he, unless he's the guy who wrote the exploit or had some other knowledge, there's no possible way this guy is doing what he said. So I sent that to him and they're like, we need to come to your office. I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> What now? Yeah, here comes the federal uh, <laughs> Right? That's, I mean, I was getting a little nervous. And they're like, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, uh, everything's good. Do you want a job? I'm like, no, I do not want a job. <laughs> so that was one of those where I got a taste of your exact uh, anecdote there about um, it being such a common out. You know, oh, I was just downloading this for evidence or whatever. Um, but... On the flip side, so your other your other statement there about leaving it to the police. So obviously, if I had left that to the police, the police would not have done that bust. They would not have, I mean, maybe eventually or something, years down the road, some other tip would have broken or something. But honestly, I don't have any reason to believe that's true. Like it, These guys were very smart. They were doing everything right except for this one off-color comment this guy made, this very small mistake. Um, another friend of mine is a very good friend of mine. Um, he has a long time decided he's going to be a vigilante. He's the guy who's out there with body armor and actually going and doing busts um, and fully armed and, you know, deep undercover, the whole thing. Now, the local police uh, and where he lives basically kind of look the other way for the most part at, at the most senior level. The people on the ground have no idea who he is, though. So he does get arrested on site, and, um, and they basically... He said, here's my get out of jail free card, calls this guy. They call the guy and he's like, yep, give him his body armor and gun back and let him out back on the street. Like that's, that's his life. That's what he does. And he, 
he does enjoy it, yes. And yes, he has made some fairly enormous busts in the past. And um, his frustration is that this kind of comment, he's like, I need more help. I need more money to go do these things. I need more resources. I need, it's not, it's not, the police aren't doing it. For whatever reason, the police haven't done these things that I'm seeing all around me. And I can report them all day long. Maybe a year from now, they'll finally get around to it on the long laundry list of other things they'd be dealing with. But a lot of the crimes he goes after are so minor on face value that there isn't much of a case there. But he knows what's going on under the hood. So he's like, look, it's not, no one's going to drool over this case, but there's something much deeper here. Like he's, he's gone after some very large organizations, including ones online that, you know, dating sites that are, you know, clearly not actually yeah. that there's something much, much worse. So what, what is your, what is your feeling about that? I mean, like he's out there doing something. I mean, he's, he's making a name for himself, uh, but, you know, <laughs> with a hit look, on his head I, for the, sure. I mean, the way I look at it is, uh, he could be hindering, good work that's going on by professionals quite possibly quite possibly yeah so i had to have that conversation with somebody pretty recently um wanted to do vigilante and uh, you know i told him if you interfere with something that i have going on even if you don't know it you will go to jail like i am doing this properly correctly you know the the other issue you run into is i always ask people what are the texas rules of evidence tell me about them Tell me what's admissible. Tell me what's not admissible. How do I get the, the, the Facebook screen grabs that you have into court? Did you know I have to have a business record affidavit from Facebook and authenticating that? No. Um, so it's, it's dicey. And, uh, you know, we worry obviously about blue on blue. I don't want, I don't want to be sure. stinging a cop. Yeah. I also don't want to be stinging a civilian because I can tell you right now, if I come around the corner and there's a civilian with body armor and a weapon, mm-hmm. we're not going to have a civilian anymore. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, it's it's tough. It's very very tough. I would you discourage. Would, you anybody. would advise him not to. I would advise him and anybody not thinking they should not to do that. <laughs> He's an interesting character. Um, I think you'd really like him as an individual. He's, I'm I'm all for gray. I love uh, dancing in the gray. Yeah. Um, I just again, if if he's out doing it and needs more funding, needs that. Why not reach out to the police department and say, you know what, I'll go to the police academy and I'll be a reserve officer. I'll volunteer for you guys. Just give me the badge. Mm-hmm. You know, and then now you have somebody who is credentialed, who's working with law enforcement to be able to do this. And understands the chain of evidence. And understands all of that. He, he, he's a longtime security guy as well. So he, I'm sure, is very aware of the yeah. or how to make evidence admissible. I'm sure he has hidden cameras everywhere and so on, so on. So Surely. Uh, but anyway, I, I do get your point. And I think for anyone watching this who really, this gets their hackles up and they want to go do something about it, I would discourage them as well. Oh, well, yeah. And, you know, it, you go back to the camera issue. I mean, think about what happened uh, with the show, um, whatever, Live PD, Williamson County, mm-hmm. right? So now you're telling me exactly. you've got this camera over here that has evidence of a crime on it. Guess whose camera that is now? Mm-hmm. It's not yours anymore. Right. You know, so it's, it's dicey. Mm-hmm. You really set yourself up for failure. <laughs> <laughs> I recorded it on my phone. Well, thanks. Thanks for the phone. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, he has enough money. I think he's not that worried about yeah. that issue. But but I'm th- the kinds of money he needs is more like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to fly here and do yeah. these operations. And, you know, like he's the much bigger money that you might get just from a paycheck. So, um about the the one uh, image per um, bust sort of situation, right? 
I, I, this is one of the things that worries me the most about our law because my job is getting things on computers that shouldn't be there, right? And I have ways to get every single cell phone, every single desktop, laptop, computer on the planet and every web server to have any image I want at any time I feel like doing that. It wouldn't cost me very much money infrastructure to make that happen. If I can do that and I can do it once, that means I can do it twice, 10 times. So whatever threshold you say is the minimum, what you would decide is the, is the, the, the minimum bar. I could easily exceed that. No problem. Mm-hmm. So to me, what seems like it's missing from the law is intent. And I th- there's one thing about having uh, something on a computer, you know. So a, a very good example of this is a, is a friend of mine used to run an ISP. And one of the problems he runs into is someone downloads a bunch of child pornography on his, on his computers. They're his computers, but everyone knows what's going on here, yeah. right? So he has the problem of now that is evidence, and now you need to physically remove drives, and those drives have everyone else's data on them as well. And so now he's going... His computers are going offline and all this chain of evidence just basically nukes his company. So he's managed uh, to stave off completely going offline uh, a couple of times, but it was you know, by the hair of his chinny chin chin kind of thing. You know, phone calls to people who can make things happen sort of thing, like yeah. pulling strings sort of deal. So, I mean, there's, there's one thing about stopping this, which I totally understand. There's one thing about having a big collection and it being yours, totally understand. But there's this weird gray area where it's like, yes, that is his, but it's not his. And yeah. yes, that's on your computer. It could have gotten there in a million ways. And there's no no proof at all that you were interested in this. Yeah. So how does that play out uh, for you in, in court? And I mean, so, t- t- you know, it's really the totality of the circumstances. What is it? Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously, there's there's uh, interviews that take place. Um, more often than not, they'll, like I said, they'll tell you, Hey, this is what, what I was doing. Um, I was hoarding child pornography yeah, right. <laughs> for, so, collected for you. <laughs> um, you know, in the state of Texas, it's intentionally or knowingly possess. If I know it's there, mm-hmm. I'm not getting rid of it. Technically committed. You know, I've had, I've met the, the element of that culpable mental state. Sure. Um, I would argue that people that don't want it would immediately delete it. And not store it. So, for instance, it's on the blockchain right now. Yeah. There is a child pornography on the blockchain. So anyone who is downloading Bitcoin, the whole, the entire ledger or whatever, has child pornography on their computer. Yeah. And well, I, a lot of the uh, uh, pornographers use Bitcoin as the currency now. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I mean, they use whatever. So it's they not use traceable. Whatever. But they use it. Well, it is traceable. Let's. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> but, but yes, the, but the, no. The question is: is this though? So when you look at, at people who who generally possess child sexual abuse material sure. it's on thumb drives, iPad, uh, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you can tell me this is how this happened and it's here mm-hmm. and uh, no intent, and eh, once it touches a thumb drive, you you, you intended on sure. keeping it. Yeah. So I think again, it goes back to everything. You have to evaluate based on the circumstances. So your your friend is an example. If he said, "Look, this is what's going on," you know, full and well, it makes sense. Now, if it's on his thumb drive, mm-hmm. wow, you know that that starts changing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it goes to you know a million different things. When was it downloaded? Okay, so May seventeenth. Okay, I can, or even there, May 17th. Yeah, can you tell me that? Okay, well, this is what happened. May 18th, May 19th, May 20th. Eh, 
we're intending on downloading it at this point, you know. Um, so it just, everything has to be evaluated for what it's worth. Okay, so you really do look at the totality of all of the evidence in the hand. Every single individual case. That's pretty brutal. That's, a, you, that's a pretty onerous task for you. Yeah, but if you don't do it, you know, my biggest fear has never been not arresting somebody who committed a crime. It's been arresting the person who didn't commit a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if I'm not doing my due diligence to determine whether or not you committed the crime, I actually was asked by a defense attorney on the stand one time, do you think you're judge, jury, and executioner? I said, absolutely. So what grants you that authority? And I'm like, well, if I'm not convinced that this person committed a crime, why in God's name would I put handcuffs on them and put them in the criminal justice system? Mm-hmm. So again, it breaks down to every individual criminal investigation. Sure. How are you um, in the world of child pornography? How are you able to, are, are you able to track these offshore sites that are growing daily? Um, and, and those are, Examples of where Bitcoin's being used quite a bit. Um, are you able to or? Ish. So as an example, we just uh, fairly recently worked a case that stemmed from Australia. So I knew the person was, in, my person downloaded from peer-to-peer from Australia. Mm-hmm. So we'll go through in his, find out everywhere that's gone, identify everybody and send it. So it may be in, you know, India, maybe in UK, mm-hmm. whatever. That's the beauty of, of being able to work uh, so closely with Homeland Security is that there's attaches everywhere. Mm-hmm. So now I have this case that now it touches Germany, for instance. I can send it to the German government. We actually sent one yesterday to the Spanish government. So we had a case that touched Spain. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely doable. It's painstaking. It takes a while. And obviously we're missing a good chunk, but mm-hmm. um, can definitely do it. Do you believe – I know you're making a dent in this problem – but do you believe there is a way to actually, you know, maybe through technology down the road or whatever, to actually decrease this whole problem and either make it diminish entirely or reduce it to the point where it's just such a rare event we barely hear about it? I personally don't. Um, I think that... Uh, this is the way things are going to be. I think it is. And, you know, and I think that we're, we're at the tip of the digital spear, right? So what's going to happen next? We're... we're, we're We've got kids that are growing up knowing about OnlyFans and watching pornography, you know, that eight, nine, ten years old. Um, what is that doing to their brain? You know, and, and by the time they get 30 and 40, what are they going to be seeking out? You know, and, and that's that's difficult. Um, it's like anything else. The more technology evolves, think think back as a kid, the worst thing you saw was probably dad's Playboy magazine. Right. And then it evolved into Penthouse and Hustler and all worse and worse and worse. Then we moved to. VHS and DVD and streaming and it's just blown up. Uh, so I, I think we're always going to be one step behind. Um, behind the Absolutely. Um, and as it applies to trafficking, um, there's a move afoot to legalize prostitution. That's not going to put a dent in it. There's a, a big move to make uh, everybody arrest every John out there. That's not going to put a dent in it. It's uh, the dumbest thing is that's ever said, but it's true is that, you know, it's the oldest profession on the planet. So you got to deal with it. It's interesting too, looking at criminality, like you brought up, um, I'm for decriminalization of selling sex, but the only reason I'm for that is because the law enforcement is criminalizing victims of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. 
So I really feel we need to take that ability away, right? I um, agree. So it's it's dicey when you start talking that. Um, and, and for the audience's perspective, just so that's a very important point there. Your concern is that people who are otherwise just victims are actually going to go to jail because they get caught in a sting. By and large, that's what happens yeah, in, in most cases. Yeah, that's nine. When the, you know, I always challenge people. Before you start clicking share, because somebody did this huge operation, look at the mugshots. The mugshots are 90% women. We have a huge problem, huge problem. And that's primarily what you see. Um, Getting away from it now, cops are getting smart. I've noticed uh, one of the police departments in in Texas, I'm not going to say which one, it's the largest, um, got away from posting pictures of women. So I always challenge people. Mm. Oh, Check the mugshots versus the number of arrests. How many mugshots are there? There's 30 mugshots, you know, and 75 arrests. There's a reason for it. Um, we're criminalizing victims of trafficking at rates that are astronomical compared to traffickers. So, and it's part of the problem. It is. It seems almost counterproductive because now, <clears throat> now these victims are not. It's not like they're free of it. Now they're in the institutionalized and they're going to come back out potentially much worse. And the market demand's still there. So the traffickers are going to have to find someone else to put in their place. Well, the thing is, you, you put a girl in jail for prostitution, right? She's going to go down there. She's going to get a $1,000 bond. He's going to show up. He's going to pay 150 bucks. He's going to get her out. Who's actually paying for that money, for that bail? He's not. So she's going to get turned back out to have to make that money back up. She's probably going to be in trouble for getting caught and her quota is not going away. So if she has to make 2000 a day, she's going right back out. Um, so really we're putting them in, in increased vulnerability um, and, and really putting them, we're, we're creating an environment where the traffickers, the truth teller. Well said quota. That's such an ugly, I, I'm so used to that in the traditional sales term. Yeah. Like you got to make your quota. Otherwise you, you don't do. get That's your bonus. That's what it is. That's yeah. exactly you what You do it is. not come home tonight until you have $2,000. I don't care if you have to make it till 10 PM or 7 AM. Uh, you will not come back home without that money. I have seen innocent images, um, division FBI. Um, I don't know how closely you work with them or whatever, but one of the things I've seen them starting to do is arrest 100 people at a time. And it's exactly the number 100. It's not 101. It's not 99. And I got to think that's got to have a deep psychological impact on the the child pornographers or whatever who are around them. Because they've got to be thinking, I probably just skated by. I'm probably 101 and I'll get in the next bust. Um, and that's got to be terrifying. It's a, it's a strong psychological. It's not just a nice round number. Yeah. It's also like they had to choose to not include people in that cohort. Um, and it could have been, you know, could have been me, you know, so that's got to put a, a scare into a lot of these people. I would just have to imagine is that, do you think that sort of psychology is being, is that intentional or is that just a happy consequence? You know, I, I think it depends, right? So when it comes to trafficking operations, uh, where we're at, we're very big on arresting buyers and we'll put the buyers on the, on the news. So, um, what it has done, it has decreased the amount of trafficking we have going on. Um, oh, really? It's very obvious. Yeah, there was an NIJ study that was done in Atlantic City uh, that was showing that if you specifically target buyers very focused, uh, it can reduce trafficking 75%. Uh, just looking at what we're dealing with, I believe that 100% because that's that's exactly what we've seen. Um, because if you're a buyer in Waco, Texas, 
you have to be afraid that not only are you going to jail, but that you're going to be put all over the internet. And right? it's a very tight knit community. Yeah. So, it, and once you're a uh, sex offender list, you can't do anything really without being. Well, they're not actually sex offenders when it comes to really to soliciting prostitution. No, you don't become a sex offender. But now, what you're looking at is now it's a felony in the state of Texas. We're the first state to have that. Um, so, so looking I'm surprised at that isn't a sex offense, uh, since it is related to, well, if it's aggravated, is that considered? No, no. So really? solicitation of prostitution, the, the penalty increases every time. So now you go to a state jail facility, huh. uh, next one's a third degree felony. So, you know, so it increases, but, um, that generally applies to pedophiles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's generally what the word aggravated tends to mean in this context, right? Uh, Where it's not necessarily. Not always. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it depends. For me, in the anti-trafficking world, aggravated means more than one trafficking victim. Mm. Um, if if it uh, is some kind of sex case, generally aggravated insinuates that there's a, a weapon that was used or something that caused serious bodily injury, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to child sexual abuse material, uh, it's the, the distribution, um, which the beauty of the law in the state of Texas, anyway, if you have three or more images, you're automatic, it's presumed that you are distributing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it very obviously very quickly puts everybody in that, that umbrella. Gotcha. Cool. And, and an example of a, uh, a victim, and we all know this victim, um, was trafficked and uh, was at a, uh, a party or something where, the, where they were, uh, the girls were working the party and uh, the party was interrupted with gunfire, and uh, people died, and this young lady uh, was arrested for murder. And uh, it's still on her record. So I'll get her on the podcast at some point, um, if I can. Um, I think that's an interesting case. And I, I get your point, though, that this is really, we're going after the wrong people here. Right. We're going after that's the victims of this. Um, that's pretty terrible. Um, yeah. is there move, is there some momentum about changing these laws and depends on where you're at, right? So there's, there's places that they're, uh, 100% hell bent, um, on locking those girls up. They committed a crime and they're not going to tell me about that crime. Therefore they're a criminal. I disagree with that. I think it's crazy. No, no other crime in, in anybody's penal code. Do you get criminalized for being the victim of, we don't arrest people for being victim of burglary. Uh, we don't arrest domestic violence victims and tell them, look, we're doing this for your own safety. Um, but that's been the practice by law enforcement when it comes to anti-trafficking work for years. So it's the accepted norm. Right. Um, the other thing is too, one thing, uh, you know, you find, I got, I got an argument one time with, uh, with a um, vice cop from a, a very large, the largest city in Texas. And uh, <laughs> I asked him, I said, you know, he told me, he said, look, this girl came and she told me that had I not arrested her, she would be dead. I saved her by arresting her. And I'm like, you know what? That is actually a wonderful story. Like really it is. Um, but how many women have you arrested for prostitution? Like 200. Okay. So 0.5% of the time you got it right. 99.5% of the time you're ruining somebody's life. How do you justify that? You know, Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully it made his head spin a little bit, but you know, cops are an interesting beast and ego is a hell of a thing. So, um, Telling somebody what they're doing is not right when it's been the norm for the last 30 years of vice operations. It's difficult. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I think law cannot be perfect. If it's if it's too perfect, if it's too enforced too well, 
then you don't give any room for things to change. Um, and I think this is a very good example of where this law feels like it does need to be changed. Yes. Yeah. Part of the, part of the deal is too, is, uh, you know, we, we have the age old, I didn't write the law. I'm just here to enforce it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, my question is, are you a public servant or are you here to enforce every law? And one thing I always ask is when was the last time do you arrest people for possession of marijuana? Nah, I dump it on the side of the road, send them on their way. Same level offense as prostitution. Why is this so egregious at the same level that you are so compelled that you have to enforce the law when you let laws walk all the time? You have that discretion. Why are we doing this? And that yeah, even gets into a bunch of gender issues, I think. There, there is something about, oof, yeah, you might be right about that. Um, there's something about uh, legislating from the bench, but there's also legislating from the cop car. Yeah. And I think that does happen very frequently. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, so let's talk about sextortion. Um, this is uh, something that's, it does happen. It's, yes, it's, it does. It's, yeah. and if, in fact, it's becoming a booming business. Um, yeah. I think it's kind of a fast way to find these victims online is just find some sample of material that they've already uploaded and, and you leverage that or get them to send it to you under yeah. false pretense and then it just starts the spiral. Um are you seeing that? Is that is that a thing that is happening more and more in your world? Is that it is definitely increasing. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no doubt. Um, generally, where we're seeing it though is against males. Interesting. So somebody, if they're female or pretending to be female, will befriend a male, um, get them to send explicit photographs because you know, generally think with the wrong head. Mm -hmm. And once we can get them to do that, then they're turning around. They're like, "Hey, here you are on Facebook." Here's your wife. Here's everything. I need X amount. Uh, and generally speaking, those are coming from from, uh, from Nigeria, from you know, other countries, um, where we see it in the trafficking community. It's kind of interesting. There's a there's a quote former trafficker, which I wouldn't say he's a former trafficker if he's doing this, but he'll go try to track down who this the the people involved in the commercial sex, who their families are, mm. and then start. Hey, I'm going to send this picture, this video, whatever that I found on OnlyFans or whatever it is to Jim Jones, your daddy. Mm -hmm. You know, I need X amount of money. Um, so we do see that from time to time, but it's way more prevalent when it's uh, it's male victims of sextortion. To me, this feels like a huge national security threat um, because if I if it's that easy, because I believe you, because <laughs> many many young men thinking that they might have a chance with a lovely lady, might go out of their way to do something extremely dumb. But that just, as soon as they're weaponized, as soon as they're turned um, by that, that minor threat, what else are they willing to do? And yeah. that can become enormous and very dangerous very quickly. Have you encountered that yet? Is that is that a, a problem that we have yet to uh, see? <laughs> I, yeah, I have, and I agree. It's a huge national security issue. You know, how, how are spies usually? They come in the form of a woman who's meeting somebody at a bar, right? But now you don't even have to uh, go to the bar. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's huge. I, I think part of the other issue is just looking at that. Uh, how many apps people use? Um, you know, we're, we're using Face App, taking pictures of ourselves mm -hmm. in apps that are in China, right? <laughs> or mm -hmm. or other Russia, like that makes zero sense mm -hmm. to be doing that. Um, and, and we're dealing with foreign governments that, you know, are what they are. Uh, so yeah, I could see it as a, a huge, huge issue. I, uh, I remember this one time I, I was having drinks with uh, some friends or whatever. And there was this guy and everyone seemed to be like 
corralling themselves around this person who I'd never met, knew nothing about him, didn't know him from Adam. Turns out he's a billionaire, but I didn't know this at the time, right? <clears throat> so I go over to him and he's just talking this big old game, like, oh, I've got nothing to hide, like all these privacy wonks and like, you know, they don't know what they're talking about, et cetera, et cetera. And again, no idea who this person is. I'm like, can you give me your wallet, please? And he looked at me and he starts reaching back to his wallet like he's about to do it. And he's like, wait, why? And I said, well, I'm going to take every single card front and back out. I'm going to take photos of the front and the back and I'm going to put them on my Twitter feed. I've got 30, 40,000 followers or something. And I'm going to tell him that this guy doesn't believe anything bad can happen to him or his family if I do this. And he put his hand back out of his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, he kind of like tried to change the subject a little bit. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you do have things to hide. You have many things. And it might just be something as simple as wanting to protect, you know, your children or something, right? It could not even be you, which I don't at all believe. But <clears throat> a broader point, Let's say I do get malware on my machine. <clears throat> well, th they might not be after me, but they might be after, let's say, someone I care about who's underage in the household. And so even if you don't believe that you have anything to hide in that traditional sense, you certainly need to have some level of protection. And this is just drives me crazy when people don't take ownership over their own security and privacy. Yeah, I think this is a really good example, this extortion thing, where it's like, well... You know, they may not be after me, but they could easily be after the person right next to me. Right. So, yeah, that, that very much. I, I find me. that um, I, I have several friends who were in their late seventies and early eighties, and uh, they seem to be targeted more than anybody by these uh, people. Um, how does that? How does that end up? Well, they're, they're 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 the people that I know are are single, uh, either by divorce or by uh, death and uh, they prey on them as lonely hearts clubs and mm. uh, um, I've seen some of them fall victim to it uh, a young girl gets on and says uh, you know I, I want to be your friend and you know if you're a lonely guy at that age yeah I need a friend I'd love somebody to talk to so they get in and they start talking oh well you know I need to I need some gas money can you send me uh, mm -hmm. gas money or I need uh, this and you know I, can you Give me your credit card so I can do this. And it's, they're drained. I have some very good friends who more or less started the internet. And um, they they have some weird thoughts about how things have ended up. <clears throat> like, I, I feel personally responsible for how things have become. Like, it wasn't supposed to be this. Like, yeah. this was supposed to be a, a way for us to, you know, share information. And, and now it's just turned into this morass um it's like anything else everything that starts good use. <laughs> everything that starts good has people that are willing to, to mm -hmm. exploit it all right so self-porn this one i'm a little more on the fence about you know some 12 year old boy wants to send some pics to his you know female friend who's approximately the same age i have a hard time thinking that that kid should go to jail or that the girl receiving it should go to jail or whatever no matter how many photos they send to one another that obviously i don't want them to have sex i mean i don't think they're ready for it but i don't feel like that should be a crime personally what what is your feeling yeah once again that's where parenting has to come in yeah i, I don't think it should be a crime I, it I shouldn't be a crime I but mean. parents should step in and see what their kids are doing mm -hmm. most states it's not you know, back in the day, we, 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 we used to get the cases where, just what you said, you know, 
Uh, and primarily it was the, the girl's parents that were, sure. were fired up. You yeah. know, well, he's got pictures of my 14-year-old girl. Uh, and we would tell him, like, hey, I can arrest him for possession of child pornography. Uh, I can arrest her for manufacturing child pornography. You know, then all of a sudden they don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's days of old, right? Sure. Um, and, and, no, I, I agree. It, it does go back to parenting. It goes back to, uh, for me, I would I would be getting Child Protective Services involved. Why mm-hmm. are you doing this? Were you sexually abused and now you're acting out? You know, we just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm there with you on that. I, I, I think there's there's got to be a line. Okay, so this falls into the next thing where kids these days and myself and every security person I know uses ephemeral messaging. Um, they use it on Signal, they use it on Wicker, they use it on Snapchat. I mean, ephemeral messaging is just the wave of communication in the future. I think everybody has now sort of agreed that it's just better. Obviously makes your job way worse. It is much, much harder when the material just disappears after a day. You know, just don't unlock your phone for a day while you're in custody, you know, and then it's all just gone. So I think that there's something to be said about people being able to have private communications. I think there's something very, very important about that. Back to this, you know, I don't think laws should be completely set in stone because I think there are some bad laws out there, really bad laws, like, you know, for instance, prohibition was a very bad law, and a lot of people went to jail. A lot of the mob more or less came out of it. It was a very bad idea. We need laws to be able to be changed, and we need people to be able to protest and be able to do Ill- illegal things under those bad laws in order to get them overturned, um, or at least be able to talk about it privately. You know, no thought police. Also, I totally understand why that would make your life a living hell when you know it's there. You know that they're involved, but you just don't have the evidence. Yes, I think we can still develop the evidence, though, right? So um, I've yet to see somebody that I've arrested for CSAM material who didn't possess. You know, I may not get the, the, the messages. I may, there may be plenty of disappearing and all that. They're doing something to keep that, mm. right? So is it a trophy? Is it so just- absolutely, yeah. It's a collection. Um, so you absolutely come across that. Uh, so again, I may not be able to do everything I would like to do, but I also, you know, we can skin the cat a different way. I tend to be more of a privacy absolutist because I know how bad governments can get. And the day that the government decides that they want to come after whatever random group of people they don't like that's the day we're all going to go, I'm really glad I had ephemeral messaging. Yeah. Um, so to that point, um, we were talking a little bit about Facebook earlier in the show. Um, Facebook has a algorithm. Um, it's based off of, I believe, Microsoft's uh, software that they have, um, Photo DNA, if memory serves. I'm pretty sure that's right. <clears throat> that basically just does like fuzzy matching. It says it's just approximately child pornography. You know, maybe pixel width a little different, you know, different color or whatever, but it's prox- it's the same thing. And as you said, they report the vast majority of all of these um, cases. In that sense, it makes a lot of sense that they're able to see this material. It makes sense that they can watch the wire and see this messaging going on. I just see that as ultimately what's going to end up happening is everyone will just leave Facebook. Um, as soon as that gets socialized amongst these these people, they just go, okay, we'll go somewhere else. Uh, we'll go to ephemeral messaging with Snapchat, for example. It's happening. It is yeah. happening. It already is happening. 
The other one that's along those same lines, Apple has software. Um, they call it Neural Hash, or the same thing. Um, if you have phone uh, have photos on your phone and you upload it to the to iCloud, um, it's approximately along that path, it's actually on your phone, but in the process of uploading uh, that material to iCloud, they basically say, hey, this person has some amount of things that match. Not just one, that's probably just an anomaly, but when it gets to 50 or 100, you yeah. know this is your collection thing you're talking about, then flag this person, flag this individual, and they know exactly who you are and where you're located and all these things because they have iCloud connected. Problem I have with that is now you've just told people don't back up their phones, don't, you know, protect their data or whatever, because the problem is photo ha- neural hash and photo DNA could easily be weaponized by a government to say, well, find anybody who protested um, for this cause or find anybody who attended this set of conferences or whatever. Like, it's very easy to turn this very benign, and I ag- agree with you probably both, good cause into something awful like really very easily it, a guy like me could very easily turn that into something a weapon yeah um so what do you what do you think should uh, we do be doing more of this stuff less of it i mean i feel like government should have their hands nowhere near anything like this technology but also i totally get why they want it you know obviously i feel like we should um but i'm all about privacy too i don't i don't want you know federal government in my inbox mm-hmm. um but when it's specific to this, I, I think I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, we can always say that in the United States, things could be weaponized. Um, my hope is that as long as somebody's trying to do that, there's plenty to counter it. Um, I just I don't know what that looks like. You know, beyond this particular topic, I, I don't. I mean, Same I, thing with anti-terrorism. I, I don't I don't need to talk about regime changes, yeah, uh, yeah. but but. But at minimum, okay, let's take regime change off the table, although I don't think that's off the table. Let's just say a company gets acquired. So Grindr, for instance, they got acquired by a Chinese company. Uh, so now, you know, millions of American men who are homosexual have all of their information owned by the Chinese military. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a national security threat. Like, unlike, And if you don't think they're gonna, not going to use that against us, oh, of course. you're... No, it's absolutely. That's why they're buying it. Of course, of course. So we don't have to talk about uh, internal issues. We can just talk about normal M and A activity that a company might decide. Hey, well, and and companies have a, a very dangerous um, way of thinking about things. Like Dropbox, for instance. I do think that they're starting to do this type of analysis as well. If memory serves, but they at one point were like, we don't want to be able to look inside. Um, people's Dropbox. There's really no reason for that. Like just give them a certificate on their phones or whatever. It's all encrypted between them. And if they want to make it unencrypted to communicate out, that's up to them. So the technology exists for them to support that today. But the marketing team said, yes, but what if one day we want to be able to look inside these messages? What if we want to be able to market to these people? And that's a very slippery. That crosses a line to me. Oh, of course it does. I mean, it should infuriate anybody who thinks about that. Yes. But I mean... That's the problem with this dual-use technology. As soon as you say, oh, it's just for looking at child pornography, it's it never is just that. It's always then five other things. It's, you know? I mean, it's like you said, everything gets created, and it's created for good, a good cause. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's created for a good cause. 
And once the bad actors get a hold of what's being used for a good cause, then they will find a way to destroy that. It's, it's very concerning to me. Uh, and I don't see enough people talking about this as the consequence of this. Like Obama was in town and he was talking about backdoors and encryption. Um, and I think he was expecting a rousing applause at that part of his presentation in 2006, I think it was. It did not go over well. Um, and I think, I think people just don't want the government looking at their stuff, whether it's child pornography or not. I mean, it doesn't matter what we're really talking about because of these regime changes or like, I don't care what political side you're on. Imagine the other side had that data and wanted to do something with it. Were you feel comfortable with that? No, no. Doesn't, doesn't make me feel good. Okay. I think we beat that one to death. Yeah. (laughs) So how is uh, child pornography cases and sexual um, slavery or trafficking prioritized these days? Is that is that top of the list, kind of low? Like, where? Wh- how much funding are you getting? Like, how are, how are you being treated in the department? Yeah, I think um, I'm blessed. My department's, I can walk in. His and say, sheriff supports him 100%. Yeah, I can walk in today and say, hey, I need to go to L.A. And he's like, why are you standing in front of me then? You mm. know, so it's... It, we're an anomaly. Um, I think it's high priority. I think it's high priority for the wrong reasons. And with most law enforcement agencies, I think it's high priority because it gets clicks and likes and shares and comments. Mm. Um, as evident by the fact that we're arresting the wrong people simply for likes, clicks, shares, and comments. It inflates the numbers. It inflates the numbers. It makes things look great. You know, you again, look at, uh, there's a yearly operation, operation, uh, rebuild and reclaimed statewide in California. Just look at the mugshots. Um, so, I think there's very good officers, you know, out there that are, are really busting it, trying to do the right thing. But uh, I think generally the bean counters are to blame for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, the government throws money at problems. Right? I actually lost federal funding because I was too high functioning. Is what I was told. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the most federal government excuse I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> we got to we got to give it to somebody who's not doing a good job. Right? Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense, um, but. You know, the state's been wonderful to us. Uh, you know, we're funded through the state of Texas uh, by the Office of the Governor, the the child sex trafficking team. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, uh, there's you know, we could go on all day about that and, mm-hmm. and whatever. I do think it is much higher priority uh, law enforcement-wide than it was 10 years ago. Um, but I also think that in many ways it's high priority for, again, how, the How about reasons. federally? Are you getting a sense of how they're prioritizing things? So it's really interesting, yeah, the... the it's high priority on the federal level. Um, f- federal agencies are not very good at human trafficking investigations. Uh, you know, I mean, that just is what it is. Uh, they're not designed for it, right? They're not set up that way. Um, it seems like they'd be perfect because they're doing with cross border, literal cross borders of all kinds. Yeah, but you're 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 also mm-hmm. dealing at the very very macro level with state laws that they can't really enforce. So the underlying offense for anything is the prostitution. We just don't arrest for prostitution. We then target the promoter or the trafficker or whatever. Um, you also got to, to, to remember too, everything with the federal government gets clunky. It's clunky as can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we do operations literally with two to four people. That's it. We do a full on human trafficking operation, two to four people you walk into a federal trafficking operation, state level trafficking operation. You're going to have 60 people here. 55 of them and don't know half of them don't know what they're doing yeah mm. so look at look no go ahead i will say and uh you are you are 
to be commended on the highest level because you have taken the awareness to a new level and and the job you have done is outstanding uh there's uh tim tebow has uh, helped quite a bit in that that level but i think joe has created more chatter and more good than any one human being in this country that's high praise coming from you yeah, i appreciate that <laughs> do you feel like it's earned yeah you know have you have you no, have just, you lived up to the hype <laughs> no, he has. I think you know. I just here's the here's the thing. I, I learned years ago, um, and I ruffle feathers. But what I tell people is, as long as we are not calling it out, we are as guilty as a trafficker. Uh, I was in a meeting one time with Andrea Sparks and and uh, some other high level administrators, and uh, they were talking and patting everybody on the back about this particular operation and, and I called out very bluntly everybody who clicks like everybody who shares this everybody who did anything like this and continues to make this acceptable you're as guilty as the person that is trafficking you are criminalizing these people and uh, you know it just needs to be said sometimes and, and accountability is such a huge deal uh, for me that I think I don't care you know I, I don't care if I make friends in law enforcement so, you know it's the way I look at it, that person is being victimized. And, and if you're truly here as a public servant, re-victimizing and celebrating re-victimization is doing nobody any good. Mm-hmm. Well, I personally love people who ruffle people's feathers, so I'm, I'm all about <laughs> it. Um, if basically, every single person who's sat in these chairs with uh, who's been before you ruffled people's feathers. So It's a good time, you're right? In good, you're in good company. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, at... EHAP, we had this kind of weird rule because uh, Penn kind of mentioned earlier, at some point you're like, there's a 12-year-old, but is she 18? You know, in pigtails, I can't really tell. So we just had a standard rule that if it looks like even a teenager, just drop it because we just can't, we can't know for sure. We just went after stuff we knew for sure. So, you know, 12 and under kind of thing. Um, do you have a different prioritization depending on age or is it just whatever comes across your desk, whatever comes across my desk. Right. So I always ask people, um, I I was contacted by the FBI, um, yesterday actually, and they were wanting to do an operation, uh, to recover minors. And I I told him, I said, this is why the FBI fails miserably at recovering minors because you're looking for minors. Um, my question becomes then, uh, when we look at children and I'm not saying we should not be going to find children. I'm a hundred percent for that. Um, but let's take a 17 year old and an 18 year old. Why is one life more valuable than the other? Let's take a 16-year-old and a 55-year-old. Let's take a 16-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Christian, Caucasian female and a 55-year-old Asian female who's, say, in this country undocumented. Why is one life more important than the other? Mm-hmm. So as it comes, we're, going, we're doing our job. You know? and, and are we out looking for kids? Absolutely. But are we out looking for adults too? Absolutely. So I, I think you can't. If you focus so much and so narrowly on one, you're going to miss the big picture. And that's what we... A lot of get swept under the rug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what we... Nobody in the sex trafficking world is going to post an ad that says, hey, I have a 16-year-old, right? That would mm-hmm. be crazy. Right. Um, but if you're not looking at the 19-year-old, you're never going to find the 16-year-old. So that's... I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is how much the over-18 crowd or 18-plus crowd... Um, 
ha- drives this entire industry as well. I mean, it's that's oh, yeah. it's an enormous, enormous part of this industry. Probably the lion's share, as a matter of fact. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in your uh, Joe, in your uh, massage parlor bust, uh, were there many underage girls? No, I've never seen one uh, in ever. I've never seen an underage person in an illicit massage parlor. Uh, and I always tell people, you're not going to find one. You're just not. Mm-hmm. Um, where we have seen them is in uh, Latin-based, where you'll find mm-hmm. juveniles. They're typically younger. Um, but even generally then, they're still adults. Um, but that is where we have seen the potential for some minors. Sure. Are the majority of your bust uh, Asian-oriented? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're there for a while. Um, Korean organized crime was really big in the IMBs, uh, and it's all shifted to, to predominantly Chinese based. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And these are Chinese citizens uh, or American citizens? Or? Um, generally, what you're finding is either permanent residents, um, find some overstays. So they come on a tourist visa uh, and, and they'll just overstay. Um the overwhelming majority in this day and age are uh, seeking political asylum. So they'll come on a visa. They'll go straight to an immigration attorney, seek political asylum. And for years, they're, you know. They're in the system. They're in the system. Yeah, they're, they're here. It uh, doesn't grant work or anything like that. But, um, yeah, overwhelming majority are, are seeking political asylum. Got it. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for doing this. Um, where can people get a hold of you if they find stuff that they <laughs> probably shouldn't be looking at? Yeah. Um, like, how, how do they get in touch with you guys? Don't go digging. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, um, you know, it's uh, you can go straight to the McLean County Sheriff's Office website. Uh, there's a section under there for human trafficking. Um, there's an anonymous tip reporting um, dealer, so, and it's completely anonymous. And, and what if they don't live in Texas? What if they're broader, you know, outside the United States even? Yeah, I mean, I'm always, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, have a, a public Facebook page as well. So um, either or, you know, super easy to find me. Uh, and Google my name, it'll it'll pop up. Okay, I'm on LinkedIn, um, and then uh, in my book, it will have uh, an email address to reach me. And um, I'm assuming there's some hotlines or some websites out there that people can read up on yes. this some more. Do you have anything that you stands out as being a particularly good resource? Blue, Blue is a great site that the government operates and uh, very educational. Yeah, it's under the uh, – there's, there's a couple. So under the, the Homeland Security, uh, Blue Campaign is a really good one for anti-trafficking. Uh, Polaris, the, anti, the National Human yes. Trafficking Hotline, is, is obviously something I would encourage people – uh, there's a, a training series called Net Smarts on the National Center for Missing Exploited Children's website that uh, is really age-appropriate information for kids with internet safety, things like that. Um, in this movement, I, I tell people to use caution more than than just finding things. Um, as much as I hate to say this, and, and I'm a, I'm a veteran, um, many veteran-based organizations are absolute garbage. Um, I don't know why that is. I've got my suspicions, but um, I, I generally tend to avoid those type organizations and anti-trafficking movement. Mm. Um, so I would always say, I don't care what organization it is, do your research. Research where the information is coming from. Not just because they say it, where is the cited source of the information and evaluate that. Um and more often than, than not, you would find it's not very good. Mm-hmm. And I would highly encourage your uh, listing base to 
give money to the charities that are helping the victims. Um, Such as? Do you have anything? uh, The Austin 20, Nicole's Place, uh, Collective Liberty, uh, The Lighthouse. Joe knows a bunch of them. Unbound. uh, Unbound Global's a phenomenal one. Uh, Traffic 911, wonderful. The Refuge in Houston, phenomenal. Um, There's a ton of good organizations out there. Uh, My only point to what I said is just do your research. Got it. Yeah, do your homework. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, really appreciate it, Penn, Joe. This has been great. Thank, thank you. you so thank much. Thank you, Robert. <laughs>